be looking at all of it, uh, only part, but if you have questions tonight, uh, as either from the reading that we've just done, or as I go through, as Annabelle's reminded you, please uh, take advantage of the opportunity at the end of the message uh, to ask away. I'm going to pray and ask God's help, and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you that this word is present here tonight. Thanks that it can be read. We pray now that we might have open spiritual eyes, open ears. And we ask, Father, that we might hear in such a way that we are changed because we put your word into practice. We ask your help for this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, we're going to start uh, looking uh, at this passage uh, way back in chapter 8, verse 1. And in it, we're going to see uh, something that is one of Luke's favorite things to note. He loves telling us that men and women are apprentices to Jesus. So come with me and have a look at verses 1 to 3. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Well, it's, a, it's a very interesting little uh, account here. Uh, we see that they have been traveling around from town to town. And I wanted to reflect with you that traveling is tough. I don't know when the last time you went for a trip was, but when you get somewhere new, you have to think, where am I going to sleep tonight? Where's the nearest KFC or, or McDonald's or whatever so I can get my healthy dinner? Uh, everything you need, to, you need to work it out from scratch every time. And so there's a growing group of people with Jesus traveling around. And my reflection would be traveling is tough. It's hard work. We also see here for the first time a mention of the 12. Now we, we heard that Jesus had picked his disciples a little while ago and now they're actually being identified as a subgroup of the wider group of disciples. They're the 12 and they're going to continue to grow in prominence in the life of the church and take a leadership role. So we have the 12, but the really interesting bit, the, the bit that we really need to note is that he mentions there are also women who are with them. And that's noteworthy because it would have been very unusual for them to up stumps and go for a walk. We, we note, why must they be traveling with Jesus? Well, uh, we heard about the man who had the demons in him. And when he was cured, one of the things that he said was he begged Jesus to go with him. I've met Jesus. He's set me free. And now what does he want to do? I'm with you. Where are you going, Jesus? I will be with you wherever you go from here. So it's reasonable to assume that because these women had also been cured of evil spirits and diseases, that they had similarly been set free and that they would have a similar motivation to be with Jesus. They would have begged to go with him. And Jesus didn't say, sorry, the boys own the gig, you can't come girls, stay home. He didn't say that. And so remarkably, we're told about three women. We're told about Mary from whom seven demons had come out. Now, she's also known as Magdalene, and we think that is probably because she came from the town of Magdala. So Mary of Magdalene, or as she comes to be known, Mary Magdalene. Uh, so that's her. Now, she had been set free from seven demons. 
That's a big number, isn't it? And I imagine that her, uh, her um, experience of being possessed was absolutely horrific. And having been set free, she puts her lot in with Jesus and says, I'm with you wherever you go. Mary. Secondly, we meet Joanna. And she has an extraordinary biography here. We're told that she is the wife of the manager of Herod's household. Uh, he has a name, Cusa or Chusa. Uh, he's very choosy, I assume, in how he manages Herod's household. Good material. That's the evening service for you. I've been doing this all day. Uh, it's intriguing to me. Uh, we, we, we find out quite a bit about what happens with Herod. How does, how does Luke know what Herod is thinking, what's happening in Herod's mind? Well, it's possible that she has inside information, to, sorry, that he has inf- inside information from the wife of the manager of Herod's household. Isn't that interesting? So Joanna is one of the disciples who's following around with Jesus. And then we're told of an extraordinary woman called Susanna, who's so amazing that she has no biography. Did you notice this? It just says, and Susanna, and you go, and I assume the only reason she can be mentioned without biographical data is because she played a role of prominence in the early church. So it would have been, and Susanna, and everyone goes, ah, this is where Susanna turns up in the story, probably because she had a role to play in the life of the early church. So she's here with just her name because later she assumes prominence. That's a guess, but it's the only reason I can account for just having a name sitting there in space that probably everybody knew her. Amazing, right? But that isn't the most amazing detail. The most amazing detail is that these women, we are told, are helping to support them out of their own means. What we assume this tells us is that they were financially providing for the wandering band out of their own resources. Now, it's wonderful to note because Luke can't help but mention women. And we see here that the ministry of Jesus is actually, in part, made possible by these extraordinary women and their generosity. How awesome is that? Now, we're going to focus on listening to the Word of God tonight, which is what I prayed for, but I couldn't skip that. I I want to start by telling you that distracted driving is dangerous. Uh, Does anyone own one of these? Are you a driver? If you are a driver and you own one of these, have you ever touched it in your car? If you're saying, no, I haven't, we'll go back to confession, which was brilliantly led, Annabelle, thank you, and we'll be able to take your confession for lying, okay? We... We generally will touch them in our cars, which is extraordinary, right? And it's actually extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, Apparently from a massive study of people that was done uh, last year, when we touch our phones, we touch them for about 18 and a half seconds at a time. Now, what's that text saying? What am I saying back? Maybe I'm typing. 18 and a half seconds. It's extraordinary, right? Your unmanned missile is now traveling around the road at, at 100 kilometers an hour, and it, no one's paying any attention to what it's doing while you're texting or whatever you're doing. That is extraordinary. They said that people eat, apparently, this is all their averages after they, they looked at 400, for 123 seconds in the car. Now, that's stuffing down your Macca's burger pretty quickly, I'm going to say, but there it is, 123 seconds. And that's a problem because at any time, there's about 45% of us that are distracted in the car. Why does that matter? Because about 25% of accidents happen because we're distracted. In fact, your chance of having an accident goes up 400% while you're distracted. 
Now, that's not rocket science, is it? But it's a little concerning for me while I'm on my bike and you're... Anyway, if, if, you, can, if you can pay attention to, uh, to your car and your driving and not so much your phone, that'd be fantastic. Distracted driving is really dangerous. But what I want us to see tonight is that there are dangers actually associated with distracted listening. There are dangers associated with distracted listening. As the Word of God goes out, we need to be aware of the dangers of being distracted. And so Jesus is going to tell us a parable tonight. I think it's, it's even got a title in your, uh, in your Bibles there. It's, it's about scattering. And I want to have a look at it with you, at least the start, in, in chapter 8, verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. Now, we've seen it again and again with Jesus. People are coming from town after town. Not only is he traveling around, but people are traveling to him from all over the place. And he told them a parable. Well, what, what is a parable? Well, it's not just a cool Hebrew word for story, okay? A parable actually is. It's a story with a second meaning. A story with a second meaning that rewards seekers and frustrates the disinterested. Are you with me? Okay, so it's got two things it's doing. It's rewarding those who are eager to find out, and it's frustrating or not satisfying those who are disinterested. We're going to unpack that as we go along tonight. Well, as we listen to this story, I'm going to read it for you. I want you to think, what is the focus of the story? Uh, it's an amazing story. I love Jesus' parables. You hear them once and you're ready to retell them. Isn't that extraordinary? You hear them once. You guys could tell me the story right now. You know what it says. Have a listen to me in verse 5. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path where it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. So here's the thing. What, what is the focus of the parable? Well, we could think it's the seed, right? It could be the seed. But the seed is the same in every scene. So I'm going to say it's not the seed. Secondly, it could be the sower, but again, the sower is the same in every part of the story. So I'm going to say it's not the sower, despite, I know, the title, which is in your Bibles. But Luke didn't write that and neither did God. Somebody thought it was a helpful title, okay? I'm going to suggest to you tonight that the focus is actually on the soils. The focus is actually on the soils because they are the only thing that changes in the story. Same seed, same sower, different soils, do you see? So I'm going to suggest to you that the focus is actually on the soils. Great. Cool story, huh? And then Jesus adds, everyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. What? what, what surely if you have ears, you are hearing, is that right? Everyone who has ears to hear, let them hear. How is that a thing to call out? It, it's, it's the most self-evident thing in the world. So why does he say it? What, what's his point? Are you listening? Yes. Did you hear me say, if you have ears to hear, let you hear? Yep, 
So what are you saying, Jesus? You're a weirdo, essentially, is what's going on. Well, let's, let's find out what's going on by having a look at this. Does anyone own a Rubik's Cube? Does anyone own a Rubik's Cube? Is your Rubik's Cube solved or is it a mass of different colours? Yeah, massive different colours. Do you know there's only two ways to solve the Rubik's Cube? Did you know this? Two ways to solve the Rubik's Cube. Number one, take the stickers off and put them all on the one side so they're all together. That's, that's number one. Number two is to learn the secrets of the cube. There are actually ways, there are methods to get this, this little coloured bit onto that side in the middle on that side over there. And it's three twists this way and four twists and... and there's a way to do it. In fact, I was talking to a man at the morning service this morning, and he said, I own all of the Rubik's Cubes. And I said, what do you mean? Because you don't own my one. And he said, no, 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 all the different types. Did you know there are two by twos and three by threes and four by fours and five by fives? We have a six by six, and I am looking to buy a 10 by 10. And my, my son and I were talking the other day, and we were talking about how to solve one side of the 10. The secrets, you see, the secrets of the Rubik's Cube. I want you to see that the kingdom of God has secrets too, and they can be solved. Have a look with me at verses 9 and following. His disciples asked him what the parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that those seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Now that's intriguing, isn't it? He's saying that there's a big crowd out there, and then there's a smaller crowd, which is his disciples. And he says, I'm actually doing something for the insiders, and I'm doing something for the outsiders. And today, for you, he says, I'm going to reveal the secrets of the kingdom of God. But if you have a look in your Bibles, have a look at the end of verse 10 there, you can see that, that those seeing bit is in inverted commas, and is it kind of slightly formatted differently? Is that... Is that there for you? That's because he's quoting from the Old Testament. If we look at our Bible timeline, uh, we're going to come across to the book of Isaiah at the end of the reign of the kings of Israel and before the exile, before they get kicked out. And Isaiah has just met God in a blinding flash in the temple. And then God says to him, man, I've got a task for you. Here's the task that you are to carry out. And I want you to listen to his task. God said to him, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. This is a radical thing to say. Essentially, what Isaiah is told to do is to preach the word of God to Israel and he's going to be massively un successful. The people of God are condemned not to find out what this word means. They're going to hear the word of God, but it's going to bounce off the surface of their hard hearts and disappear. In a little while, in chapter 11, Jesus is going to say these extraordinary words. Have a listen to this. Jesus says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For to everyone who, everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. See, Jesus has come not to condemn. 
He's invited you and I to seek and find the secrets of the kingdom of God. He's not telling us so that we will never find out. He's inviting us to be amongst those who may understand. But see, a parable, I said, will turn off the disinterested. It turns off the people who came for a sticky beak. Remember I said there were crowds coming? Crowds are coming to Jesus. Now, whenever there's a crowd, there's always a mixture of people in the crowd, right? So somebody's going, there's a crowd. They're going down. I think they're going down to the the place. They're next to the the, the thing. Oh, that's gone backwards. That's very unfortunate. Uh, They're they're next to the thing. They're they're wondering what is going on. And they don't really know why it is that that they're actually there. And so the parable is about farming, right? A farmer went to sow his seed. And everyone's like, yeah, we know this. We farm. That's what we do. We chuck seed around all the time. And you want to tell us that seed on the path gets eaten by birds. Yeah. And then you want to tell us, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, if it gets on the rocky ground, it'll die. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's not very interesting, Jesus. I came to see the show. I came to get into all this fun stuff. And you're telling us about farming. Well, I'm not really interested. So the self-seekers go home. And then there are some people who, who heard that Jesus might be the Messiah. And they're like, man, I'm ready. I'm ready for the revolution, right? Are we, we're going to overthrow the Romans. Get the boys together. Grab, sharpen your, your shovels. You know, we're going to go and attack a Roman legion. Let's get ready. And they come down to the show and they go to hear the king. And he talks about farming. And they're like, that's not very revolutionary. That's not sounding very exciting. And so what happens is that those who are seeking revolution leave. They don't hang around while Jesus talks about farming. And then there's another group in the crowd who look, a a bird. Is that a bird? I think there's a bird over there. The parable doesn't get through to those who are easily distracted, right? The parable is a reward to the seeker. But the people who are standing in the outside, who bring their own agendas along, they totally miss it. And so tonight, I guess we want to find out, what does the parable mean? Because the disciples asked, didn't they? So what we're going to do is we're going to work through the four soils here and work out what it says. Soil number one. So we're going to come down to uh, chapter 8, verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Okay, that's really important. The seed is the word of God. The word of God is being flung out into the world. That's what the sower is doing. Verse 12, it says, Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So what happens to the first set of seeds is that it's snatched away. It's snatched away by the devil who doesn't want the hearers to be saved. But we know God wants something far different for you and I tonight. It says in 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slow. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That's what God's like. What does he want? He wants the word to go into your heart and to save you. Everyone to come to repentance. So when the word is flung out, there is a war going on. There's a war going on. Satan would snatch it and God would have it save you. So here's the question. Will the word of God tonight make it into the foyer in your heart? 
Will it make it into the car park as you get ready to go home? Or will it already be snatched away? That's the first soil. The second soil, he says, is, uh, is different. Have a look with me at verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. So what happens to this is that they wither. They don't go deep. The word's like, wow. <laughs> a guy I listen to um, loves talking about the person in church who comes and shakes his hand at the end of the week after he's spoken. He says, the guy always says, that's a heck of a talk, pastor. And he says, the heck of the talk guy is really interesting because they're happy to tell you that was a heck of a talk. But if you ask them next week what you talked about, they won't know. They receive the word with joy, but it doesn't go deep in their hearts. Do you see? And so when a time of testing comes, when they go out into the world and it gets hard to live out the word of God, all of a sudden, it withers and dies. What about you, faithful church here tonight? How should we be when testing comes? Well, Romans tells us that we glory in our sufferings, not because we're masochists. Have a listen to what it says. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. God, when the testing is on, is shaping us. He's never wasting it. And so tonight, if we're to retain the word of God, we need to stand up under testing. Are you with me? Okay, what about the third soil? Well, in the third soil, we're told, uh, in verse, uh, verse 14, the seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries riches and pleasures, and they do not mature. See, here's a word that actually gets to growing. It puts roots down, but as it comes up, something else comes around it and chokes it. What, what are the things that choke it? Life's worries, riches, and pleasures. Worries, riches, and pleasures are a choking hazard to the people of God when it comes to living out the Word of God. Now, that's pretty important because I reckon this is firmly in our wheelhouse. These are the things that will challenge us when it comes to being productive with the Word of God. So let's unpack each of those one in a turn. So the first one is life's worries. Does anyone have any worries here tonight? Are some of you worried that you can't think of any? No. Typically, what will happen is there'll be stuff in our life that is weighing us down. It's heavy on our hearts, Yes? And what can happen is that we can be consumed by our worry. It turns into a little treadmill in our hearts, in our heads, where we can't get off it. It races away and it consumes us. Now, in that context, Jesus speaks these words that seem almost utterly unreasonable. Have a listen to what he says. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Do you guys remember this famous passage in, in Matthew chapter 6? He says, don't worry about these things. You, do you know the birds in the air get fed and they don't have barns? And then he says, the flowers of the field are clothed in beauty and they don't have as much money as Solomon had. How do they survive? Because God, your heavenly father, looks after them. He provides for them. 
And so what he says is, don't worry about tomorrow, but instead seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. He says, all these things will be provided for you. Consumed by worry? Instead, what we need to do is turn our hearts to God. And there's a very helpful passage about how to do that in Philippians 4. Again, it says, I think unreasonably, you think, oh my goodness, you can't really mean this, God. Those of us who are worriers, right, will go, that's, that's utterly unreasonable. But I want you to hear what he says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, where you go, yeah, yeah, so far so good. I'm always praying to you, God, about my worries. God, save me. God, help me not to have these worries anymore. I'm overwhelmed by my worries. God, please stop. He says, no, no, no. Don't just pray to me. By prayer and petition, see what it's with. See what it says there? With what? With thanksgiving. Why with thanksgiving? Why is that so vital? Because as I'm being drowned in my worries, when I practice thanksgiving, what I see is God's still providing today. Do you see? God's still providing today. Lord, I have a roof over my house. I'm so thankful for that. God, I'm, I'm worried about my promotion coming up at work, but I have a job. I'm thankful for that. God, I'm, I'm worried about what will happen with my kids and their schooling, but they're healthy and well today. What, whatever it is we're looking to see, God, what can I give thanks for in the midst of this? And then what he says is extraordinary, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word can be choked by worry. I want you to know tonight God's peace. God's peace. Secondly, we're told that the word can be choked by riches. And you think, that's okay, I could probably do with a bit of choking by riches at the moment. That's one of my worries, right? God, you could provide some more for me. That'd be fantastic. Remember what Jesus says. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one or hate the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he says these amazing words, you cannot serve both God and money. Mammon, yes, God and money. Here's the thing. How will you know if you're serving money? Oh, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't do that. Look, I really need to stay back at work tonight because, uh, um, yeah, look, um, I'd love to do that, but uh, we're trying to save for our holiday. Um, yeah, look, um, yeah, I'd love to be generous now. I'll be generous later uh, as long as we've paid off the... When our first thought is money and its, its obligations... When that's our first thought, we are no longer serving God first, we are serving money first. And you cannot serve God and money. God doesn't work in second place. There's an amazing passage in 1 Timothy 6, which talks about money and Christians. It says, Godliness, isn't this beautiful, with contentment is great gain. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Brothers and sisters, money will murder your spiritual life. It needs to be under the lordship of Jesus and not in his place. Are you with me? Money will choke. What we need to know is God's incredible provision for those who love him. The third challenge that will choke is pleasure. And as I've said throughout the day, trying to find a picture to put up for pleasures that choke us was hard, so I came up with a uh, fun fair, which uh, people have fun at, right? Okay, good. 
uh, pleasure is there or something. Here's, here's what it says in Proverbs 21.7. Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. Don't, don't devote yourself, devote yourself to pleasure. It, it, it's a devastating statement. In Titus 3, it says, At one time, we were, uh, we were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions, passions and pleasures. Guys, at one point, our desires, our passions, our pleasures enslaved us. They enslaved us. And if it's enslaving you today, if your desire is, I need to satisfy that need, I can't wait to get that feeling again, then the Word of God will be choked from being productive in your life. There's a much better option. Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. There is the godly pleasure that we are to seek. If you seek God, you will find Him. And it will not stop you from being productive with the Word of God. There's one more soil to go. Um, It's soil number four. And it's uh, found in verse 15. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. There is a profitable way to hear the word of God that will result in a hundred times what was sown. The question is, what is being profitable with the word of God? There's there's a lovely thing in uh, Colossians chapter 1. It says that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. What it means is there are more people becoming Christians. How will I know if the Word of God is being productive in my life? I will be giving the message of new life. The seed that has been sown to me, I will share abroad. As well as that, it says here, bearing fruit in every good work. The other way the Word of God can bear fruit in me is when I do things that are pleasing to God, when I live the message of new life in Jesus. So how will you know if the Word of God is being productive? You'll be giving and living that Word in your life. You'll be growing in making the seed known. I want to take you to one final picture before we finish up tonight. And it concerns family. It's a very surprising little incident. Have a look with me at verse 19. Now you can imagine Jesus teaching. And then at the back of the crowd, right in the very distance, Jesus' mothers and brothers came to see him but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Some people told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now guys, this is fantastic. The first thing to note is Jesus' mother and brothers didn't have a backstage pass to the Jesus show, right? They couldn't just say, hey, it's us. And Jesus goes, all right, I'm stopping proclaiming the kingdom of God. What I'm going to do is talk to my family. He doesn't do that. He says, I'm going to continue to proclaim God's word. And then he drops an extraordinary invitation. He says, everyone who hears the word of God is my brother and my mother. If you hear the word of God and put it into practice, you are my family. That's the invitation. And and whether that was an insult to his family or an incredible lifting up and honoring of the people who are obedient, we'll never know. But the important thing to see is that God says you can belong to the family of God if you put his word into practice. So how shall we live in response to what we've heard tonight? I think that we need to listen by seeking out the meaning of the word of God. You and I need to seek out what it means. 
And you and I need to produce fruit to bear what the Word of God wants to do in our lives by persevering. You see, distracted driving is dangerous. Distracted listening is dangerous. The invitation from Jesus tonight is, those who hear the Word of God are my brothers and my mother. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your Word can be understood. I pray, Father, that you would set your Word deep in our hearts, that we wouldn't be easily distracted, but that we would be productive, that the kingdom may grow because your word is growing in our hearts. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, parable of the sower slash what? Soils. You can just cross it out in your Bibles, guys. That'd be fine. And just make that adjustment. Now, do we have any questions to follow up? You might want to ask me about the other reading I didn't preach on. You might want to ask me any number of things, but there's an opportunity for you to ask some questions now if you would like to. Do we have a question to get us started? Yep, Doug. Why did I miss out the the verses in the middle of the reading? Oh, yeah. Sorry, Doug, you can ask it again into the microphone so we can... uh, Preserve it for posterity. Why did we miss out the verses in the middle of the reading? Uh, It's a fantastic question, Doug. Um, I think I've preached uh, 32 minutes tonight, and I would gladly do an hour and a half, but you wouldn't suffer through it. So I am trying to be merciful to uh, everyone, and um, I'd love to talk to you over supper about any question you had on that. In fact, if there was a question right now, I'd dive into it at at a moment's notice, Doug, but it's not because it's scary or I'm uninterested in it. It's simply because I think if we hear this message that we need to treasure and seek out the meaning of the Word of God, it will stand us in better stead than satisfying our curiosity about the demon-possessed man. Is that okay? It's a good question, though. Thank you. Uh, Anyone else? Fantastic. I'm going to take that as uh, the fact that you understood the Word of God, and my hope and prayer will be that it stays with you.